now I'm going to start reading from verse number 8. This is a continuation from two weeks ago. We never got got through that message. But Acts chapter 19, whoa, it's on now. There we go. Verse number 8. This is the Apostle Paul. He's in his third missionary journey. He's in the city of Ephesus. And it says in verse 8, And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly, for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Who are ye? The man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus, for fear, fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. And many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, Here's the key to everything that's been taking place in verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we do love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, I ask your blessing upon the service today. Lord, I ask for your mercy, your grace, your help. Lord, that you would control what I say and how I say it. I pray that it would be clear. Help me to stay true to your word. Lord, may you use your word this morning to strengthen us, to help us. Lord, to reprove, rebuke, exhort. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted. Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing that even this morning they have repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, please work. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, I began this message last week. It's just two points, but we never got through even the first point. I'm in the middle of the first point right now. And, uh, and I'll review quickly what we covered a couple of weeks ago. Paul, again, is in his third missionary journey. He's coming to the town of Ephesus. And, and Ephesus was a major, major city. As far as the eastern side of the Roman Empire, there were three primary cities. They, these, the, these were it. Number one, of course, Alexandria there in Egypt. And, and that one's very much well known in world history for all that took place in Alexandria. The second one, it was in Antioch, actually. And the third was Ephesus, where Paul is at now. It was a major place. 
And in this city, though, it was very wicked. It was very vile. Very vile. It had the temple of Diana. Um, it was a vile culture. And we see what takes place here as Paul goes in, starting his third missionary journey, and the Lord allows him to stay in place for three years. This is the first time that has happened. It's incredible what takes place, how, how strong the church becomes in Ephesus. The effect that it has in that town of, of, of Ephesus. I mean, too often we tend to look at our culture today and think, really, there's nothing can be done. It's just going south. And boy, it is. It's just incredible what's taking place as we see our nation changing before our eyes and culturally on, on, on the edge of collapse as if people don't even notice it. I mean, the way people are thinking today and looking at life, it's so distorted and, and twisted and wrong. And they, they don't even see the danger and destruction that's going to cause. But as we see what takes place in Ephesus, with the word of God prevailing, the same thing can take place still. There's still hope. The word of God is incredibly powerful. Even in your own personal life. Perhaps there's battles in your own heart and in your own life. The Word of God certainly can prevail. Maybe you struggle with issues of things like pride or, or whatever it might be. We can go on and on. The key is the Word of God. As we finished up with our text, it said, Mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. It is incredibly powerful. The Bible describes it as quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It changes men. It changes lives. It is truth. Truth is not something that's relative. Please understand that. This is why the Word of God can prevail, why it can work. Right now, we, we have a culture that is believing a lie that truth is relative. That Greg can have his own truth and I can have my own truth. That's not how this works. You say, well, but, but, and people think that it's working right now. No, that will fail. That's building upon sand. Events will take place because you're building your life on deception and a lie, and it will completely collapse. And I promise you, those that are following up, there are times at life, whether that's the middle of the night or times that it hits, where they just know something is horribly wrong. And because of the devil's deception and his control of media and different avenues that we tend to be ignorant of at times, people tend to blame that on different things. He doesn't want them to see the true cause of what leads to the, the feeling of despair and hopelessness. He certainly doesn't want people to think that it's actually the absence of the Word of God. For 200 years, our nation benefited from the effects of the Word of God on the culture. And that has rapidly changed. But the answer is still the same like it was 200 years ago. The Word of God. It is one of the most incredible, it is the most, not one of, it is the most incredible book ever, ever written. It is, I don't know if you know this, of course, it is by far the best-selling book every year still to this day. Nothing comes close to it. Nothing. And it is incredible. 66 different books compiled. Written over a span of more than 1,500 years. Authors, some men were kings, some were fishermen. All different walks of life, 
that God used to pin in his revealed world, his revealed word that this world would need. It is the truth that we need. And in our text, we see it comes into the one, one of the major cities of the day, a New York, a Tokyo, a, a Los Angeles, and it changes it. It changes it. Ephesus was known... For a lot of things, the Temple of Diana, I'll get into that next, the next message on here. It was a, a place full of idolatry and sexual immorality that just helped control it. But it was also known for its sorcery, its witchcraft. The occult was filled in Ephesus. It was common, including exorcists. This is why you can understand when we have the book of Ephesians, it's the book that the Lord used to get Paul to pit in the verses like, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. It's not a coincidence that that's in the book of Ephesians. It was in Ephesus that Paul really confronts this tremendous power of this evil underworld that takes place. But yet we see the word of God prevails. When we looked at this two weeks ago, we, we, I started off and we're still in the middle of the first point. These two points were simple. Obstacles to the word of God prevailing. What had to be overcome? And then, of course, we see the outcome. The outcome. What it means. So how do we define the word of God prevailing? How do we define that? That's a good question. Because I believe even within our circles, how we define the Word of God overcoming really wasn't how the Bible defined it. If the pews were packed, we overcame. The Bible doesn't define it that way. We're going to see it defines it in two ways. When the culture and the individual is changed. That's when it overcomes. That's when it prevails. That, that's how it's going to grow so we looked at two of the obstacles um, uh, uh, two weeks ago. Number one, when the Word of God is being preached and presented, when, when, when all of a sudden it begins taking place, what Paul is doing now in the third missionary journey, it's happened everywhere on his first, second, and third, there are challengers to the Word of God that has to be overcome. We see that here. It usually happened in the form of the Jewish leadership. The same was true in Ephesus as he headed into the synagogue. And, and of course, they just ran him out. But God's word prevailed. Paul didn't quit. He stayed faithful to God's word, even when the battles came. And that's true. When you're serving God, i got news for you. When you determine, I want to do right, I want to make my life about God, you're going to have battles. Those of you getting ready to head off to Bible college, I assure you, if you're, you're listen, I want to do right, I want to serve God, next week... Battles are coming. They are. They're going to come. You don't quit. You stay faithful. You realize what it's all about. <clears throat> then we looked at, where we finished up last week, the second seed, not simply challengers, but commitment. 
What I meant by that, really what has to be overcome is self. We looked at what took place in Ephesus, which was incredibly unique in all of the New Testament, I believe really until this day. But we see how that was what was key to Ephesus being changed. So all those lives being changed. Did people realize, and we're going to see as we conclude today, they realize the vanity of their life. What have we been giving ourselves to? What a waste! And the Word of God overcame that. But listen, it took Paul, who would start around 11 in the morning, because that's when everybody took a break. And due to the heat of the day, work stopped at 11. It would not continue again until 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And Paul would head in at 11 in that school of Tyrannus, and then he would teach. That was their church building. It's one of the first times we see an actual church building taking place. He's there for two years. He had three years in the synagogue, two years that they used this building. And then they must have had another building they got because he was there for a total of three years. And so he would come in and teach at 11. It's thought that he taught every single day for three to five hours, just in the afternoon. And then again at night that he would start around 8 p.m. and probably go for one to three hours again. That took denial of self. That took commitment. I mean, he was giving him the word of God. This is why Paul said later on to the church at Ephesus, that, that, that he declared unto them the whole counsel of God. I assure you, Paul did not stay with simply five topics over and over and over and over. He preached the word of God and it prevailed. It started to make a difference. Not only did Paul have to have self-denial, but the people coming. They were coming to listen, and it was growing. They were listening during the heat of the day for hours. It takes a measure of commitment that has to be overcome as well. <clears throat> and now we come to where we left off, the third C that we see overcome in our text. And there's more, too. This isn't exhaustive. It's just what we see in our text right now in Acts chapter 19. And this C I entitled charlatans. Those who are fake. Those who are not real. Let's look back at our text at verse 11. Let's see what's taking place here. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons. These were the ones that were doing this. One of Siva, a Jew, chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So we have here what comes up all of a sudden under the name of Christ, charlatans. Those who are not real. Those who are fake. Our world uh, is filled with fake Christians. Where it's not real. It's not genuine. Those who try simply to copy so Paul, like the other apostles, God enabled to do special miracles. This was incredibly important because 
Understand, they could not turn to the Gospel of Matthew. They could not turn to the book of Romans. They could not turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. They could not turn to the book of Jude or Revelation. The canon of Scripture was not complete. They had not one book of the New Testament they could turn to when Paul is on his third missionary journey right now. And so, God allowed, by the hands of the apostles, special miracles to take place to confirm the message they were preaching. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible teaches us this. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is specifically addressed in the Apostle Paul. And there's other places here that, that the Bible addresses it directly. Verse 12, truly, this in verse 12 of chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. Truly, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. It was the sign of an apostle. And there are no apostles today. There are not. The scriptural, clear-cut requirements for an apostle, no man meets those requirements. One of them was, you had to be a witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, being an apostle himself, God enabled to do special miracles as it talked about in 2 Corinthians 12. We do not have these gifts today like the apostle Paul did. The handkerchiefs that are mentioned here were sweat cloths of the day. Remember, they would work in this heat. And God even allowed this to be used. Paul also had the ability to cast out demons like all the apostles did. He had that authority that was given unto him. And our text deals with these vagabond Jews. Vagabond, of course, has more of a negative connotation today. It really doesn't in Scripture. It just means wanderer or traveler. And so these men focused, especially in Ephesus, because it was so popular, on exorcism. They traveled doing these fake exorcists of calling out of evil spirits. It was all of Satan. It was all part of the occult. The word exorcist means this literally. To bind with an oath. It was applied in this sense because those who pretended to be able to expel demons, they had this formula they would use based on an oath there in Ephesus to get the spirit to believe whoever was possessed. It was all just a big racket of Satan dealing with the occult. Now, many of the men involved in it, especially the Jews of the chief priest, uh, many people who are in the occult, they're, they're blinded to what they're even in. They see what Paul is doing it, and he's doing it different. He's doing it from this place of authority. This is different than what they've seen. So they simply believe, ah, the key is in these words that we say. And so they're going to attempt to do this. They see Paul does this in this name of Jesus Christ, and they're like, wow, look at that. And so they thought if we use this man's name, Jesus, we will have the same power. They were very wrong. It speaks of the man, Siva, chief uh, of the priest. Either held a position of leadership in the synagogue, a significant one, or it's also thought that he simply just gave himself that name. That title, I should say. So they try using Christ's name, and of course we see what happened. 
These men are like so many in our day today, by the way. They simply want to use the Lord Jesus Christ for their own prestige, for their own personal gain, for their own glory, for their own greed, to say, look at me. Many realize what can be done in the name of Christ and how he changes things and, and, and the money that can be gained from it. And multitudes seek, uh, uh, seek to jump on that wagon. Look what I could accomplish in the name of Christ. That's not how this works. Now, for these men in our text, of course, it goes horribly wrong. I love what the Lord allows to take place here. And, and, and you, you, you can just, I have no doubt. At the events that take place here, Satan and his demons, whoever's in charge here, they were just furious at how all this went down. Because this is going to lead to a mass revival. This is going to lead to, whoa. They were furious at what God had take place in this moment. So these men attempted to use the name of Christ to, 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 to uh, uh, they, they mimic what Paul did, these charlatans, it's fake. And, and this man is truly demon-possessed. And the demon hears this man trying to use the name of Christ. Okay, wait a second. I, I know who Paul is, obviously. We certainly know who the Son of God is. Who are ye? And of course, then the man who's demon-possessed Beats the tar out of seven men. Think about that. There's seven of them. He is beating on them. He's ripping their clothes off of them. They're completely humiliated as this man who is demon-possessed with the strength, of course, with that demon involved. He, these men get just pounded. Their clothes ripped off and they run off in shame. Word spreads at what takes place. By the way, whenever Jesus dealt with demons, it was never, ever, ever a case of exorcism. Ever. Not one time. It was always a matter of authority. Every single time. And I, and I do not believe that was of the apostles as it describes here today. I don't believe that I have that power, that I can walk up to a person who is possessed and remove that. One, I'm not an apostle. And I, I was in a place where, I believe it's everywhere, but I was in a place where I have witnessed, I have on film, men becoming, calling in spirits in New Guinea and becoming possessed. You can see it take place. I, I, I've been in the, in the conversations with him, and no, it wasn't a matter of me all of a sudden thinking I'm an apostle and I'm calling this out. But you know what I did have? The gospel. Do you know how powerful that is? To simply say, listen, what you need is the gospel. To deal with that person, with that man. In the giving of the gospel. Because I assure you, the moment repentance and faith takes place, the demon is gone. Is gone. <clears throat> There's also a lesson here about how the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is used today. There is certainly great power in Christ and in His name. But it is not the mere saying of it. That's using the name of Christ in vain. 
I saw that multitudes of times. Well, I see it in the States. I saw it in New Guinea. The saying of his name is not a magic formula like we hear taught so often. That's not what it's about. It's about uh, the Son of God, the creator of the universe. Yet people want to use it like some magical formula today. That's not what it's about. And many times, again, just think about That's about our own, our own prestige and, and, and how people want to appeal to their own pride. Look what I can do. So he had these men who were fake. They weren't real. They were not the real deal like Paul. Not even converts. Not even Christians. Paul was the man who was truly proclaiming the word of God, preaching the gospel. These were charlatans. Trying to use Christ for their own profit, their own prestige, their own power. This isn't unlike what we came across in Acts chapter 8 with Simon. Now, when this event took place, all those people who had been obsessed with sorcery and witchcraft, and, and again, exorcists were very common in Ephesus. It was its own business. And they saw what just took place. And it, it just clicked how real and genuine Paul was. And how fake everything they've been following. How it wasn't real. There was no real substance to it. That there was an event that took place that allowed them to see been going on. And you better believe, when you have a man like the Apostle Paul, who is teaching three to five hours in the afternoon, and get one to three hours again in the evening, seven days a week, with people coming, and lives being changed, word is growing. Even in a major city like Ephesus, people are beginning to see what, uh, are wondering what is taking place, I should say. And you give it time, when it comes to the Word of God, you begin to see who is real, and who is fake. Who's in it just for their own name, but who's in it actually to see Christ genuinely magnified? That brings us to our last point. The outcome of the Word of God prevailing. First off, like I just mentioned, Christ is magnified. Let's look at verse 10 and verse 17. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Verse number 17. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks, also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Listen, Paul... Paul was all about this. I'm going to read to you uh, uh, one verse from the book of Philippians. Paul was genuine. He was real. He was about using the word of God to see Christ magnified. He knew this is how this was accomplished. And he said this. This is when he was in prison facing execution. Uh, and, and, and he was talking about the condition that he was in right now and saying, listen, I'm doing great. I'm doing fine. I know I'm in prison. I know I have a human being chained to me. I know I'm in this filth right now. I know I might be executed. And he said this. 
In verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He was a guy who was true and genuine. He actually truly lived to magnify Christ. He didn't live to magnify his ministry. He didn't live to magnify his name. At this point when he's writing that, his ministry, he thinks it's over with. He's not out signing Bibles. He's not out on a circuit somewhere. And yet he's still, listen, my whole purpose in life, he said, is that Christ would be magnified. And if I can do that here in prison, I'm good. That could never be taken away from him. Remember why he was there in that imprisonment. When he wrote that epistle to the church at Philippi, Caesar's household, the world leader, his household heard the gospel. As a result of Paul's staying true to the word of God and not quitting, allowing God to use him, God in control, Christ was magnified. The word of God prevailed. Whenever the word of God prevails, listen, the outcome is always Christ is magnified, not man. Every time. Every time Christ will be magnified. I mean, verse 10 talks about how all of Asia heard. Uh, Though Paul himself most likely never left Ephesus. It would be those he was teaching, those he was preaching, the converts, those growing, learning to teach and preach, spreading, spreading the gospel. And by all of Asia here is referring to modern day Turkey, Asia Minor. This is during this two year time period that the church in Laodicea gets started. It's in this two year time period that the church at Philadelphia gets started. It's in this two year time period that the church at Thyatira gets started. It's in this two year time period that the church at Colossae gets started. Uh, and all, the rest also of the seven churches in Revelation, all of them got started. Smyrna, Philadelphia, all of them got started during this time frame. This is when it was exploding. They were hearing Paul preach, and Paul is sending them out throughout that entire region. Churches were being established. Paul never did this for his name. When you put together somebody who has surrendered, this is what we need. If God's word is going to be powerful in our life, that it can overcome. It's about us realizing it's simply about Christ. Putting God's word in the place that it should be. And remember, this didn't take place. What we see taking place, well, within two years, I will say this. There were, the, the men were going out. It was being established. But for the revival that ends up taking place in Ephesus took, took about just about a full three years. Every day, every day. I've been back eight years. I haven't come close to teaching or preaching as much as Paul did in those three years. Not even close. All of Asia hears what made the difference. The teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. It says the Word of God prevailed. This is why I am so high on it. It is key. It's what makes the difference. 
We trust the Lord with it because it is, what will, it is God's word that has the power to overcome. It's through that that Christ will be magnified when it happens. It's, and however he sees fit to do it. It's what leads Christ to be magnified and that should be the goal of our life. To see that take place. To see as we're surrendered and yielded to Him, the Savior, who redeemed us and and, and bought us with such a tremendous price. And we realize our life is all about you, whether it's at my workplace, whether it's in my home, whether it's in a ministry. Your desire is simply to see Christ magnified. And don't think for a second that your own flesh and, and the spiritual warfare that does take place will not try and get you to become a charlatan. To change that purpose. Because the power is gone. Even things, I think that we, we that even have taken place at the Independent Baptist Church of Anchorage is because the Word of God is put forth. Putting Christ in a place to be magnified. So we see an outcome of the Word of God prevailing. Number one is always Christ magnified. And number two, change both personally and culturally. I mean, we see what takes place here. Two and a half years to three years of teaching and preaching. And wow. Verse 18, many of them that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. They counted the price of them and found it fifty thousand pieces of silver so mightily grew the word of god and prevailed the people come they're confessing their sin showing their deeds their actions their evil course of life this is repentance it's not paul now notice please notice this is important the day we live in because when god's word is not put forth man turns to a separate power source and that power source we're seeing take place in churches right now and it's wrong Churches are trying to become like the culture. America's at a place now where where the church should be changing the culture, not adapting to it. Something's wrong when all of a sudden it becomes entertainment-based. Our church service should never be about entertaining you, ever. It should be about magnifying God. Him truly being the focus not what music entertains you when you come in. Do you know, with, uh, uh, of course, what's, what's become our, by far, what brings in the most visitors is a radio ministry. By far now. Do you know what we could do if we just changed our music, how many people we could have already? No way. It's not going to be entertainment-based. If you're coming because you want to be entertained, you're coming for the wrong reason. Paul did not set up the first CCM band of Ephesus to get people to come. You know all he was doing? You know what he did? He sang some hymns. And he preached. And he taught. That's what you got. But why would you want anything else? I could set up a little concert here right now and you would feel good. Woo. You'd hear that music. It grab your heart. 
And then when you went out and you got in the car and the music's no longer playing, and you get in that fight with your wife all over again, nothing changes. But listen, when you come ready to receive the word of God with meekness and it prevails, now when you get in the car, you can look over at her and say, listen, I'm sorry about this morning. I was wrong. I was wrong. I see it. Man, when, when I heard and I saw it in the Bible, I was wrong. And then that wife smiles and says, thank you. I was wrong too. Because she's the wife, she's wrong every day. We all know that. And <laughs> John Penix would say that, yes. It makes a difference in your life. Because then the only thing you got when you go home, if it's not the word of God, because what you're learning then is simply the power of music. And there's power in music. There was a demonstration of that this week in our country. Only thing you got to do is to drown it out, not make a change by turning on the music. By turning on the music, you can forget about it. You get lost in that world. It's like a drug. It makes you forget about it until the last note is played. What do you think people walk on? Just with it constant, constant. The truth is when the word of God prevails, what it means is it changes people. It does. It produces genuine change. Many of you in, in here have testimonies to that end of what you used to be and how your life changed. And here in Ephesus, think of how they changed. They're coming, confessing their sins, showing their deeds. The, the reference is, is to the sorcery, the witchcraft, the magical arts which have been used. The word simply does mean iniquity, so I think it was more than that, but certainly the focus, contextually speaking, is all the sorcery that was taking place there that they were now abandoning. But the word simply does mean iniquity. So they bring their books. These would contain their secret magical spells and books which explained the arts that they were performing and contained all their magical formulas and incantations and whatnot. And they burn them all. Think of the effect this would have in Ephesus with the prominent place it had. I mean, people are seeing this. Here's this huge bonfire. People bringing all this material in. I mean, if this was taking place in our day, I promise you, CNN is there. Fox News is there. This is being broadcast everywhere. Look how valuable this was. 50,000 pieces of silver. Well, how much is that? That is 50,000 days wages. That is exactly what Christ and his word do to the wickedness, to the idols that you have in your life. It makes them worthless. You see them as the trash that they are. You see them as, I can't believe I actually invested in this. What was I thinking? It's trash. It's simply worthy to be burned. And that's it. 
You don't consider the cost of it. Like, no, I want, just like Paul said, when he, when he looked at all that he had in his education, who he was as a rabbi and his position as a Pharisee and all that, he said, listen, when I look back at that, it was just trash. It was just garbage. When you truly have God's word working in your life, Christ being magnified, you realize he's the pearl of great price. Nothing else matters. It's him. When truth and conversion hit, evil is abandoned at any price. The question will be, what is right, not what will it cost? So we see the people here greatly changed. The culture that is changed in the city of Ephesus. And get this, what we're going to see when we get back into this, this is going to carry over because of what's taking place into the greatest sin of the city, that dealing with the temple Diana, the idolatry, the sexual immorality that was so dominant. It's going to have a major effect, and it's going to lead to a riot, as we're going to see. It affected the entire town. That's exactly what God's Word does when it overcomes. Listen, God's Word does not conform you to the culture. It changes you and makes you a new creature. Please understand, if, if, if you are looking within Christianity how you can somehow be just like a pagan, wicked culture, something's wrong. Why would you not want to look? How can I be? What does God want in my life? How can I be more like Him? Not how you, can you be more cool. If, if life's all about God, get your mind off of the culture so much and get your mind on God and let Him change you. Make it about him. God's word changes. It changes the individual and it changes the culture. And you should be able to experience it within your own home. You can take a family who comes to know Christ. We have some new converts in here. Um, And some of you who just came to know Christ, listen, the fact is conversion should change your family. There should be a cultural shift in that family. It should change it. So, to finish this up, mightily, it says, grew the word of God and prevailed. What a great verse. And listen, this can be true in your own life. Let's just bring it down to us. With the very things that you battle and you struggle with, the word of God is more than capable to prevail. The question comes back to, are you ready to receive it with meekness? As the Bible instructs us in James chapter 1, it is the key. The word of God overcame. It prevailed and Christ was magnified. Let me finish with this. I want to take just a minute here to go into the gospel. If you are here right now and you are not certain that heaven is your home, you don't know for certain what's going to happen to you when you die, I want you to listen to me for the next two or three minutes and that's it. Listen to me. You need this. This is for you. Because one day you will die. And the Bible is clear. It's appointed them in once to die, but after this, the judgment. The day will come when you will stand before Almighty God. God will judge you. And the truth is, listen, you'll be found guilty. Just like I would. Apart from Christ, I have no hope 
You have broken God's law. Many people think, well, I joined a church. That doesn't change your guilt. But, but I got baptized. That doesn't change your guilt. But, but God really knows me. I have my own thing worked out with God, Pastor. I do. I have my own thing. No, you don't. You're believing a lie. You don't have your own thing worked out of God. You're going to stand before the holy and righteous God, the creator of the universe, and you are guilty. And listen, the Bible's clear. 100% of those found guilty at the day of judgment, every single person, rich, poor, small, great, doesn't matter. Bible's clear. Every single one is cast in like a fire. And all of us are guilty. Listen. God understood that. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what God did was he provided a way where it looks as if you meet his requirement, which is perfection. God's requirements, because if, if the Bible even says, if you offended in one point in the law, you're guilty of all. So, but God provided a way that you could actually stand before the Creator and look as if you are perfect. As if you've never sinned. So how did He do that? Oh, it's amazing. This is what God did to save you. God Himself became a man 2,000 years ago. And by the way, I think I will do a couple of Sunday nights. I've been seeing some of these clips going around from, that are growing in popularity from some Muslim going around arguing that Jesus isn't God based when he was on earth and what he did and didn't do and what he knew and didn't know. We need to cover that. So God becomes a man 2,000 years ago. God in the flesh walked on this earth and for the first time in all of human history and the only time in all of human history, somebody lived the perfect life. Jesus did. That's why he became a man, to live the perfect life for you. You see, he's the only man who's ever lived that he could stand before the Father and the Father could say, you're perfect. I find no fault. You're innocent. You did not break the law. He's it. He fulfilled it. He's the only one who's ever done it. Nobody else has ever done that. Just him. This is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There isn't 50 different roads to heaven. There is only one in the entire universe who satisfied the justice of God. One. Now get this. So he lived the perfect life, but that wasn't enough. That did satisfy holiness, but it actually did not satisfy justice yet. That's where the cross comes in. See, when he went to the cross, you've heard the phrase probably many times in your life that Jesus died for you. And he did. But we just don't understand it. When we say that Christ died for you, well, let me let the Bible explain it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says this, speaking of the cross. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's saying that when Christ was on the cross, that God the Father placed upon his son all of our sin. As if he was the transgressor. As if he committed the iniquity. As if he, as if he was the liar, the adulterer, the murderer. Uh, um, on and on and on. As if he committed those acts. And he judged him in your place. That satisfied justice. But because he is God, held did not hold him. After three days and three nights, he defeated death and rose again from the dead. At the same time, that verse says that he took your sin. It also says that he gives you his righteousness, his perfect life. 
So he takes all of your sin upon himself, and then he gives you his perfect life, as if, as if you change places with him. And if that takes place, if Christ's righteousness comes upon you, and he has taken all your sin, and you stand before the Creator, it looks as if you have never sinned. That's why God can save you. And that's the only way he can save you. That's why the Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name, none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's only in Christ. In him alone is salvation. And if you'll come to him in repentance and faith, he will save you. If you'll make that decision to repent, turn from whatever else you've been trusted in, see in the direction of your sin, you come to him and place your faith in him for salvation, he will save you. With heads bowed.